0: have you ever gone back to where you grew up you know to see the house that you grew up in I, I grew up in officially Fountain Valley, California which is next to Huntington Beach so nobody knows where Fountain Valley is because it's just a suburb of many but I went back after Tammy and I were married and I went back to the very house that I grew up in and amazing thing happened you know what happened? it shrunk, that's right, it shrunk how my family lived in that little house. And I have two other brothers, and uh, we are a little cantankerous, and we fought a lot. And my mother, she was a farm girl from Oklahoma, and she considered that kids were not allowed in the house until it got dark. Uh, so we played outside all the time. And uh, if we were inside the house, even if it was late and we started being rambunctious, you know what she told us to do? Don't fight in my house, you take it outside. And we would go out into our front yard and we would hit each other and wrestle with each other. Now my mom kept an eye on us from the window to make sure tempers didn't flare and nobody was going to lose their life, but it was, take it outside. And my mother always said, there's going to be peace in my house. Tammy's laughing because she knows my brother, she knows my family, she know, she can you picture it in your mind what's happening, that's right. Our text for today, though, is Matthew 21. So if you have your Bibles, it's also known as the triumphal entry. It is also known on palms as Palm Sunday. Technically, though, it probably happened on Monday, but we just call it Palm Sunday. And we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 21. We could officially call it peace in the house if you wanted to. Write that title instead of the one that I have for you, The Triumphal Entry of Peace. You could put peace in the house. Now, let me give you the the background of chapter 21 because we're jumping into chapter 21. Um, it's the Jewish holiday of Passover. The city is filling up, swelling with people from all over Israel. In fact, Some historians think that the city would swell by over a million people would swell into, because everybody had to go to the temple. Everybody had to offer the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. And so the whole nation is gathering at the temple, and it's that week. Now for the last six months, Jesus has been near Jerusalem, not quite in it. He's keeping an arm's distance because the religious leaders want to kill him. Especially since he has raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean that's pretty good proof. When you claim to be the Son of God that you're raising people from the dead. So they had already started to talk about how they're gonna kill not only Jesus, but they're gonna call they were gonna kill Lazarus as well. The crowds are curious, expectant, excited about Jesus. They can't wait for the revolution to start the first thing that the people are expecting Jesus to do is to kick Rome out of their nation. The Messiah was coming. The Savior was coming. The Deliverer was coming. That's true. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem as king to usher in his kingdom. In a sense, it's almost his coronation service. He's ushering in a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of salvation. The real reason the crowds are excited, though, are the prophecies. Let me just read a few of the prophecies. Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle, bro, the battle bow, the, the bow and arrow, the bow will be broken, Scripture says, and he, the one that is coming riding on a donkey, shall speak peace to the nations, and he shall rule from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set you free. Your prisoners from the waterless pit. It's interesting. Kings either rode on horses or they rode on donkeys. If they were riding on a horse, that means it was wartime and they were at war. But if a king was riding on a donkey, a lot of times after the battle, he wouldn't ride his horse in, he would ride back to his capital on a donkey. Because a donkey meant that he was coming in peace. And so this prophecy was written over 500 years before Jesus is even a thought in somebody's mind. And then in Malachi it says this, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord who you seek will suddenly arrive at his temple and it will be a surprise to everybody. We know that John the Baptist was that messenger, and Jesus is about to make this surprise entry into the temple. Isaiah 62 said this Say to the daughter of Zion, Your Savior comes, His reward is with them, and His recompense accompanies Him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you, the city of Jerusalem, will be called sought after, not the city no longer deserted. Now here's where it gets really interested in the prophecies. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel makes this prophecy that this pagan king, a pagan king will issue a decree once the uh, Israelites are allowed back to go to their homeland after being taken in captivity, that there will be 69 weeks, or another way of saying it, 483 years later, there's a prophecy that the Messiah will show up at the temple. Isn't that interesting? 500 years, 600 years before Jesus is around, there's a prophecy that the Messiah wants the decree to rebuild the temple. You just count the years one year, two years, three years, four and suddenly it brings us up to AD 32. Four hundred eighty-three. So everybody, Hollywood does some movies pretty good, right? I mean, there's a few out there right now. The Apostle Paul, you might want to go see. You might want to see, I Can Only Imagine. There's another one uh, called uh, Tortured for Christ, Hollywood can do a pretty good idea. I want you to get in your mind for a moment. All of these prophecies and you 're an Israelite. pretend that you 're a jewish person you 're going to temple for passover, and there 's this excitement in the air because the Messiah is coming. They could do the math this this is This is the year this is This is possibly the year that the Messiah is coming. So the crowd is at an excited, fevered pitch. Now, what they didn't know about Jesus was this. He was going to be the Passover lamb for the nation. See, in Exodus, it said that the Passover lamb, if you want to, let's just turn there, Exodus chapter 12. You can go there. It's really easy because it's the second book of the Bible. It's Genesis, Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. And if you were to drop down to verse 2, it says this, "'This month shall be the beginning of the months. "'It shall be the first month of the year for you. "'Tell the congregation of Israel that on the 10th,' "'this is important, the 10th day of the month, "'every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, "'a lamb for a household.'" And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. And according to what you can eat, you shall make count for the lamb. In other words, if you don't have enough money to buy a lamb, you go in with a neighbor. And you, you, you do it that way. Verse 5, Your lamb shall be without blemish, spotless, pure. And it has to be a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until, what does your version say? The 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. The lamb has to be selected on the 10th day of the month and by the 14th day of the month, a few days later, the lamb's going to have its throat slit and then that blood is going to be applied, or at least historically, over the doorpost of the house. In the year Jesus was crucified, the 10th of the month was Monday of Passover week. The 14th was Friday. Jesus enters triumphantly, being received into the hearts of the Jewish people as a nation, as if they were picking a spotless lamb. And you know what happens On Monday, they're yelling, excited for Jesus, and by Friday, what are they doing? What is the crowd doing on Friday morning? Crucify him! The lamb was selected on the 10th, and on the 14th, it was sacrificed. In John chapter 12, let me get there. John chapter 12, it just says this. It just gives a little more history, and then we'll get into our text, okay? I'm just giving you still background info for our text. It says six days before the Passover, six days before Saturday, which means Sunday, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom he had raised from the dead. They gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was there, and Mary took a pound. A pound in that day was about 11 ounces. It wasn't 16 a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his hair with her feet. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. What she was doing was really preparing his body for burial. Now, you have your Bibles? Turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 21. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their uh, cloaks on them, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. He got a million people that are just... Unbelievably excited. You think this is, you've seen excitement at a Super Bowl? This is far surpassing a Super Bowl. And everybody is like, who is this? Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. It Seems so inappropriate that the king of kings and the lord of lords would come in on a donkey. See, Jesus had to establish peace first. He wasn't there to wipe out Rome. He was there to make peace with God for us. That's what the peace is all about. He didn't come with jewels and wealth and robes. He came in on a borrowed donkey. It must have been kind of freakish when these two guys go into this village they untie a colt along with the mommy the donkey and and start taking it and the owners are like another passage says it's the owners that confront them and say uh, what do you think you're doing <laughs> that's my property it's like somebody rolling into your house and hopping in your vehicle and starting it up and leaving and it's just whoa whoa what's going on and all they had to say was the lord has need of them i don't know what it was uh, who knows But they said, okay, and let him go. Now, there's this donkey, and then the baby, the foal. The baby donkey would have gone crazy in a crowd of thousands of people, right? But as long as the mama was there, it was okay. And so here's this procession. I picture in your mind... They're they're traveling actually now down into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. So as Jesus is coming down into the city, he can see all of the city, and the city can see all of him. It's not like uh, sometimes a highway is up here and you can't see what's going up on the highway. No, everyone in the city could look up at the Mount of Olives seeing Jesus come in, and this crowd... Now you have to also realize too that there were Romans there that were keeping peace and they had a garrison right near the temple and they saw the same stuff. In another passage it says that the Pharisees are so upset at Jesus that they tell him, tell these people to stop yelling Hosanna. Hosanna, by the way, means saved. Save me, save me. And so they are crying out, these are words, messianic words, they are basically saying, Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the Messiah. And the Pharisees come and say, rebuke your disciples, make those people shut up, because you're about to start a riot, and you're going to take away our place, because there's the Roman garrison. And what does Jesus say in another passage? He says, if these people were silent, if these children were silent, the very stones would cry out, Hosanna. This is a moment in history like none other. The Passover lamb is being selected. So what does this passage mean to us today? Is it just simple? Is it just a simple record of the fact that Jesus fulfilled prophecy? I think it has a lot more to say to us. Jesus goes to Jerusalem, by the way, the city of peace. That's what the name means. He goes to the city of peace to establish peace, to become our peace. So here's the very first fill in the blank. Why Jesus had to establish peace. You don't have to be a great theologian to understand this. You could be a five-year-old child and understand this because we were on the outs with God. That's why Jesus had to come because we were on the outs with God. Do you understand what I mean by when we're on the outs? You ever have a fight with your wife or someone else? Yeah. It was funny. Last Sunday before Tammy and I came to church, we had a little tiff. So all the way and then, then, uh, but it all worked out you come to the house and and, uh, everything is good but we were on the outs with God to be honest we were his enemies and we want to be in control that is our natural sinful desire we want to be the boss we don't want anybody else telling us what to do, when to do it, how to do it we like being our own boss but we weren't made to be the boss were we? We're made to be a follower of the Lord, not a director of the Lord. Our rebellion, our sin has caused a rift in the relationship. Y- you know what I'm talking about? You've had rift in relationships before. This is the way I like to say it. Messed up people mess up relationships. Right? Messed up people mess up relationships, you know I'm a messed up person and I messed up my relationship this way with the Lord and I needed somebody to come and establish peace again the Bible says we're enemies of God we're dead in our trespasses all have sinned and we can't fix the problem you know I love to ask little kids when I'm sharing about Jesus I ask them if any of them own a time machine. They're like, well, no, we don't own a time machine. Boy, if you had a time machine, you know what you could do? You could go back in time and undo all the bad things you've ever done. Then you'd be sinless and you'd be perfect. Then you could stand before God and say, you and I, man, we're we're good. But the kids come to the conclusion that they don't own a time machine. And in fact, we all know There is no such thing as a time machine. So we have a problem. We have a broken fellowship, a broken relationship with the Creator God who loves us, but we have been in rebellion. And Jesus came to take care of that problem. It says in Colossians, Jesus did it because we were powerless to do it. It says this, in Him, in Jesus, All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus, he reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That's why Jesus had to establish peace first. First thing he did, he had to open that door so that we could enter in. The second fill in the blank is not the why, but the how. How Jesus established peace came in riding on a lowly donkey, not even a full-grown donkey, a baby donkey, to signify that he was coming to lay down his life. He was coming in peace to become our peace. That's why he came on a donkey. In Romans it says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a fancy way of saying there's no way we can measure up, jump in our time machine and undo the things that we've done. What we need, can I do this? You know what we need? We need forgiveness. We need to own what we've done and then just say, will you forgive me? And then he does because the price for your sin has been paid because what Jesus did on that day. It goes on. He says, we are justified. So many times little kids and adults use the word just. I just took one cookie, Mom. I just stayed up a little late, Mom. I just didn't get my homework done. I just ran a little... Faster than the speed limit. I just, you know that word just? It is a good word when it's in context and it says that we have been justified by Jesus. You don't have to stand before God and say, I just, I just, I just, I, I, I just. It's all been taken care of. It says we are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation. Fancy word that just means. He paid for you. He paid your penalty for you. By his blood. To be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance he had passed over formal, former sins. How many of you l- women like a clean house? Like a clean house. Could you imagine if you uh, didn't have carpet, you had hardwood floors, and you had a rug, and every day you swept your house, but instead of taking a dustpan, and taking what you had swept up outside to the garbage, you just put it under the rug? You just kept, pretty soon, how high would your rug be? For, for our dog, Gracie, our rug would be this high. I mean, she sheds every day. She just shed, 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 shed sheds. Because God is righteous, his character says we have to deal with this rug. The sin between you and I. I would like to sweep it under the rug, but my very character of goodness and purity and righteousness says I have to deal with it. But here's my solution I will pay for your sin, I will spill my blood. I will redeem you back from the one who claims ownership over you right now, and that is Satan. Jesus had to establish peace, and how he did it was through his blood. Romans continues on, God showed his love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us, Since therefore we've been justified by his blood, how much more are we going to get to party with him? I'm paraphrasing. But that's what it says. If God did something so wonderful for you when you were his enemy, now that you're together, how much greater and wonderful is it going to be this life that he's giving you? but that powerful soul cleansing blood is only activated by one thing not everybody's going to be saved even though they could be that's how powerful Jesus' blood is everyone could be saved but something activates that blood how many uh, mechanics do we have we have one mechanic two mechanics I'm a wannabe mechanic so how many wannabe mechanics do we have Okay, have you ever bought this thing called J.B. Weld? Yeah, and what is J.B. Weld? It's this epoxy that as long as the epoxy is in this tube and the catalyst is in this tube, they're all pliable. And what you do is you mix the catalyst into the, the ingredient and it's the activator, and it activates it. And suddenly it becomes this incredible glue, this incredible epoxy. Now, for all you ladies that do not know what J.B. Weld is, let me venture into female stuff. Have you ever dyed your hair? You get a kit and there's an activator in it that you put in, right? Or if you're, maybe you haven't dyed your hair and, and you're, you like to cook. And in order for your bread to rise, you have to get another kind of activator. It may be baking powder or it may be yeast. It's the activator. Do you understand that the blood of Jesus is super, incredibly, and powerful? It can do anything and everything. But it remains dormant until it is activated by your faith. Are you with me on that? Are, are okay. And so the cross is powerful, powerful enough to raise you from the dead, to make you born again, to create you to be a new creation, to make you right before God. But if you don't have faith, you got squat. So let's then ask how to live in peace, the next fill in the blank. How do we live in this peace that Jesus has offered through faith? It says this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, beginning, it says, if we say we have fellowship with Him, but we continue to walk in darkness, we lie. We're fooling ourselves. We're playing a game. We're making lip service. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship. And not only fellowship with Him, but fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, does this amazing thing. Verse 7 says it cleanses us from all sin. I don't need a time machine. All I need is Jesus. He makes me white as snow. If we say we have no sin We delude ourselves. We're tricking ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9 if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And then he pleads, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is, here's that fancy word again, the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is how faith shows up in your life. You obey. And if you mess up, you say, Jesus, I'm sorry I messed up. And he is quick to forgive you so that your separation isn't really for but a moment in time. Now, some people go weeks, some people go months, some people go years with a conscience that needs to be cleaned they don't think that they can get out of that lifestyle. They, their their conscience starts to get hard and it doesn't even bother them anymore. And Jesus is here to say no, come. Be cleansed, be refreshed, be renewed and I guarantee you I'm going to sin this week. I'm not planning on it but I guarantee you I'm going to sin. All I have to do is watch the news and my blood pressure goes up and I start thinking nasty thoughts and I want to oh, it just makes me mad. And then I start plotting out revenge, and oh, it's bad, right? But the blood of Jesus is so powerful, it forgives me for my past sins, it forgives me for the sin that I do today, and it will forgive me of the sins I will do tomorrow, because it is not my goodness that saves me, it is the powerful blood of Christ. Are you with me? So here's the motivation for peace. God did it not only because he was righteous, but because he loves us. He who did not spare his own son, out of Romans chapter 8, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge? Who will accuse you? It is God is justifying you. Who is there to condemn you? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who is interceding for you. Who shall separate us then from the love of Jesus? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Jesus rode in Jerusalem to be the Passover lamb because of his great love for you. The king of kings came to the city of peace to usher in his kingdom of peace. Peace because things have now been made right between you and God. Remember I said earlier, if messed up people mess up relationships, here's the corollary. Healed up people, heal up relationships. Are you messed up or healed up? Jesus invites you to live in his peace, to live in his forgiveness, to live clean. It's like taking a shower after a hard day out in the yard. You finally feel clean. That's what Jesus offers, that peace that surpasses understanding. Let me pray. Father God.